0: I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs. And I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. I had a professor in graduate school named David Foy. He was a really great professor. I've known a lot of brilliant people throughout the course of my career. I've been really fortunate to work with some amazing minds in the field of psychology. Dave, in particular, though, was notable in that his very specific form of expertise was in making things very simple. Dave wasn't one for elegant theorizing or pulling together loose threads from disparate fields. He wasn't that kind of academic. Dave was a get things done kind of academic. We used to call him Occam's razor because no matter what we were working on, what research project, he was one of the advisors of my dissertation, he would always find a way to say, make it simpler. You don't need that many variables. You don't need those fancy statistics. Make it simple. Make your question really simple. He was a pioneer in the area of post-traumatic stress disorder. He himself was a Vietnam veteran. And certainly had the sense that he wasn't studying, thinking about, seeking to understand trauma in humans just for the fun of it. He wasn't trying to build a career. He really wanted a clear sense of what breaks people and how to prevent that from happening. He taught this seminar in my graduate program that was cognitive behavioral treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder. So very specific kind of therapy for one specific diagnosis. And he started the lecture by writing on the board, the whiteboard. I'm not that old. Why do people get PTSD? And I think he was actually talking specifically about combatants. Why do people get combat-related PTSD? We train members of our military well. We equip them well. They're relatively resourced and disciplined. We have chaplains. We have psychologists. We have resources for them to try to prevent PTSD from happening. The question of why people can be exposed to the same event and one person... Responds well, is maybe shocked or anxious, but returns to a level of homeostasis or basic functioning. But another person, same event, has prolonged debilitating anxiety-like symptoms and perhaps sort of never recovers. The answer is actually somewhat complicated. It's a combination of epigenetics, of environmental experiences, adverse childhood experiences, how our bodies are reactive to different kinds of stressors. But it also has to do with the kind of event that we're responding to. So on this day that I have been thinking about lately, when Dave wrote on the board, what causes PTSD in combat, the kinds of events that he listed out generally fall under the category of things that weren't supposed to happen. The deaths of children, the deaths of unarmed women, the death of a very, very close friend, instances in which a leader made a stupid or wrong decision that resulted in loss. The kinds of events that cause PTSD tend to be outside of our expectations, even of what happens in combat. Now I haven't served in the military, neither has my husband or any of my children. So my interaction with this reality is from years working as a psychologist in veterans hospitals, both in Boston and several different hospitals in Los Angeles. So I come to the conversation as a psychologist. So I just wanna note that for any of you who are listening who may be veterans or active military, I don't presume to know your business. I'm just reflecting on what I've heard from my patients over the years and what I've read. Generally speaking, the category of things that really unravels our mental health are things that weren't supposed to happen. In war, bad guys are supposed to die. Leaders are supposed to behave heroically, at least competently. And while you maybe expect to lose some folks on your side, it's not the person next to you. It's not the best friend. It's not your buddy from boot camp. I've been reflecting on this a lot because I guess from where I sit, I still have the sense that we're not okay. The collective we is not really okay. Sure, many of us have had nice summers and the ability to do some traveling and moving around. We're able to hug our family and friends again at least for now. But I get the sense that there's still an uneasiness. There's a jitteriness that's taken place inside of us that lands solidly in the direction of not okayness. One of the things that I think is really driving that is this general sense that the voices that we hear in leadership can't really be trusted. I think the pandemic really unravelled us as a Western society's ability to feel like our leaders are making good choices. And really, no matter where you sit across the political spectrum, there's some deep cause for uneasiness. The flip-flopping guidelines, the lack of clear, consistent science, differences between states, perceived incompetence or callousness. I think a lot of people really feel like the leaders aren't good leaders. pretty big problem for our mental health. Yes, we as entrepreneurs often take on a heavy load of self-leadership. We take responsibility for our paychecks. We build our businesses. We are assertively and independently crafting our lives. Most of us become entrepreneurs because we like a lot of autonomy and we really don't like taking directions from other people. But even for those of us who really embrace a high level of self-governance, it sure is a time when It'd be helpful to have some useful resources. And I think the pandemic has really created this sense that, like, there's nobody here to help. There are no measured, benign, competent, really, really well-informed grown-ups who are coming to save us or even really give us any guidance. And on one level, we may think, that doesn't matter. I'll I'll do it myself. I'll take care of it myself. I know how to read, I know how to research. But also on some level, that's not really how humans are built. We are built with some orientation toward our tribe, toward our fellow members of the species. We look to others in times of crisis for a double check. Are you getting immunization? Are you wearing a mask? That's what it means to be, in, in some ways, a, a, a herd species or a tribal animal. So the lack of meaningful help and trust in leaders really is exhausting for us on some level as humans. Thinking back to the PTSD literature for a, a little while, I read a book in graduate school called Achilles in Vietnam by a psychiatrist named Michael Shea. Really excellent book. He told a lot of firsthand accounts of soldiers who had had really horrible things happen in the context of their deployment to Vietnam. And among them, the most traumatized seemed to be when the leaders failed. They either ran, they did something stupid, they got people hurt, and it broke something in those soldiers. It broke that fundamental ability to trust. We don't think about trust as being essential to healthy human development, but it is. If we think about Eric Erickson's very first stage of human growth is trust versus mistrust. Our Initial question, our hypothesis that we first test out when we arrive on the planet. Can I trust my caregivers? Will my mother feed me? Will my father pick me up when I need to be picked up? Trust is a fundamental part of who we are. And when it's gone and the stakes are high, oof, it's quite a burden on us. There's a little bit of panic there. There's a little bit of fracturing of our worldview when that's the case. I think the other thing that's really contributing to a sense of disease or not okayness is the burden of unpredictability. And of course, this has been pervasive with us throughout the pandemic. Will my kids go to school next week? When will I be able to see my mother again? Will I have a job in two months? Even if we're doing our best to Try to stay focused on what's right in front of us or what's most controllable. Somewhere in the back of our brain, we're contingency planning. We're accounting for all of the unpredictabilities, all of the things that may need to be canceled or moved, shifted and adjusted. Trying to anticipate how we're going to have our meetings with our team while we're also taking care of toddlers. That over and above, the sense of possibility that we or someone that we love Could become seriously ill or even die from COVID. Our brains have been working really hard to deal with unpredictability for quite a long time. And I know in a lot of ways things are better. I'm not making the argument that this is how we should be functioning. I'm just making the observation that this is what I think is happening. People are quitting their jobs. People are lingering in burnout. Anxiety abounds. And it may be really subtle inside of you. It may just be this little place in the bottom of your stomach that feels a little bit heavier. And no, I don't mean the extra 15 pounds you put on over COVID. I mean a little knot, a little tension of anxiety, a little tension of unease, dysphoria. Even though in lots of ways things are better, even though kids are getting ready to go back to school, even though events are on the calendar, I don't mean to dismiss any of those positive signs. But I do think we have to be really aware of this lingering unease, or I guess dysphoria is my word of the day, and treat it really gently, gently within ourselves, gently within our team members. Often that sense of feeling not okay or feeling off gets translated into irritability. It's not quite depression, it's not quite sadness. Maybe it's kind of like anxiety. But it certainly comes out in our relationships with other people. So in my consulting life in the last couple of months, I've had lots of really tricky interpersonal situations to help mediate. And most of them are a case of good people behaving badly or good people losing perspective, being irritable, being short-sighted, quick to blame, not thinking about their words or the implications of their statements. And I don't mean to dismiss it, but I just get the feeling that people are really tired. The problem, though, is that a lot of us are telling ourselves I shouldn't be tired because things are better. But I might suggest that we may still be tired from the first round, from the months and months and months of accumulating mistrust and uncertainty. Those kinds of experiences, the things that shouldn't happen category of things, really disrupts us. When the stakes are high and leaders don't lead well and the conditions we must live in and respond to are unpredictable, we begin to fray and fragment. And when we have to do that for a very long time, it becomes harder and harder to recover from, harder and harder to reestablish a worldview in which people are competent and reasonable and the world is relatively predictable. Perhaps that sounds overly simplistic, but on some level, that's what all of us are after. That's what all of us are going for. We do our best to work as humans. We thrive when the conditions are fairly predictable and the people around us are competent. So if you are feeling unease, take stock of your level of trust around you. Maybe it's not in the national government, the federal government, maybe it's not in government at all, but who are your trusted sounding boards? Who do you decide? Hmm. I'm going to carefully consider what you say. I'm going to listen to you. Maybe that's your partner. Maybe it's some friends. Maybe it's your personal doctor, but you almost want to consciously cultivate trust, choose how to grow your trust, increase the trust in those around you as is reasonable And I might also minimize the amount of exposure that you have to voices that you don't trust. The challenge is, of course, that makes us more polarized as a society. We only listen to the people that we agree with. But there's a certain point of diminishing returns where a lot of time spent hearing voices of leaders who leave you feeling distraught and distracted is just not deeply helpful to you as a human. So titrate your exposure to news and other information as makes sense, as feels good within you. The other thing that I would say is to be very gentle with yourself. If your energy is low, if your patience is low, if you're just not quite feeling like yourself, if you have those days, it's okay. You're still recovering from a pretty significant amount of stress that was spread over a pretty long time. Give yourself the space to rest, to reset your body, your brain, your heart. The other really important lesson that I learned from Dave Foy is that camaraderie and relationships are the best protective factor against those terrible things that happen in combat. Incompetent, unpredictable people break us. Competent, reasonable, predictable people help to heal us. So if you are feeling not quite yourself reaching out and really connecting to those around you can be hard, but probably one of your most productive efforts. Wishing you well on the journey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast.